The United States, which still kind of counts as a country, we don't have a border anymore. It's wild. With all the fun and excitement happening in Washington and New York, we're forgetting about the border, of course, and the problem is worse than ever before. Literally ever before, since they started tracking this stuff. It is so bad, so open, so many people are coming, and even the fake news can't ignore it. New numbers from down there reveal the historic scope of the migrant surge. Top Border Patrol officials telling NBC News correspondent Julia Ainsley it's like nothing they've ever seen before. Take a look. Despite scorching summer heat, the record migrant surge is growing. 210,000 apprehensions by Border Patrol in July, a more than 20-year high. And 19,000 unaccompanied children were picked up, the largest number ever recorded. Now, I'm a bit chagrined at these folks who are coming up. Didn't they listen to Kamala Harris? I know she made a special trip to Central America several months ago to give them a good talking to about the situation and address those root causes. I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border. Do not come. Do not come. Wow, such an impassioned speech, and they blew it off. Most of them didn't even hear. They're still coming, and it looks like they're spreading COVID all over the place. Many people, including me, think that this is exactly what the Democrats want. Why? Well, globalists, they want the cheap labor. Uh, Democrats, they want the votes. With these people coming in, they can say anything about these people and how they vote. We saw all kinds of games played last time and possibly next time because... If they spread around COVID, like I think they are, we're going to be in a perpetual pandemic state. And that's what a lot of folks want. Maybe even Joe Biden, I think he's just hanging on for dear life right now, doing whatever they tell him. But uh, he's still throwing some uh, attitude around. Just two states, Florida and Texas, account for one third of all new COVID-19 cases in the entire country. Just two states. Look, we need leadership from everyone. If some governors aren't willing to do the right thing to beat this pandemic, then they should allow businesses and universities who want to do the right thing to be able to do it. Obviously, he's talking about Ron DeSantis, Republican of Florida, probably the best on COVID in the entire country. Talk about a leader. He is the opposite of Joe Biden. He heard what Joe was saying loud and clear and shot right back. Why don't you do your job? Why don't you get this border secure? And until you do that, I don't want to hear a blip about COVID from you. Thank you. Good for you. Good for you, Governor DeSantis, because Democrats, in my view, especially Joe Biden is his and his team, they've always viewed COVID as an opportunity to be exploited especially during that campaign. Um, Rahm Emanuel got so excited about this when he was exploring the idea of a shutdown. Before the shutdown, he got so excited when he was talking about Donald Trump having to stay in the White House. And COVID turned out to be a huge gift for Democrats. Even some insiders are acknowledging. Take a look at this quote from a 
Probably the, the definitive book on the Biden 2020 campaign, senior advisor Dunn told one associate what campaign officials believed but would never say in public about the disease's effect on Biden's fortunes. COVID is the best thing that ever happened to him. Absolutely. He could not have won without it. And maybe they won't be able to stay in power without it. It's clear that all kinds of games are being played. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, perhaps the uh, master of it all, as far as the game playing. Here she was at an event on Capitol Hill, uh, the steps. You'll notice she's not wearing a mask. She's surrounded by people, but then they decide to take a picture. Watch what happens. Housing is a human right on three. One, two, three. Housing is a human right. Woo! Thanks, guys. Everybody say whiskey. Whiskey. So much of the phoniness and dishonesty that's happening right now, you can see it all right there. And this border crisis that we started with, um, focusing on countries that are thousands of miles away and not our own border, there is something obviously wrong with that. And Joe Biden um, reveals, I think, what his real priority is. Check this out, please. You may remember when we had this unaccompanied children of the border when Barack was president, he called me back. I was in Turkey and said, you got to take care of this. And I was able to get a bipartisan bill passed for almost $800 billion to go to the root cause of why, why people are leaving. The root causes is that's going to take centuries to fix. It's unfixable. Why would he be so concerned about root causes. Is Joe just a, a big picture kind of guy? Hardly. It's about money, politics, favors, and probably his own personal wealth. For example, in one of the major cities down there, they said the crime rate's terrible. That's why people are leaving this particular city. But we have no street lighting. And the government said, give us the money. We put the I said, I'm not going to give you the money, but I'll tell you what. Show me what you need. I'll get contractors down there. We'll put in the street lights for you because a lot of corruption down there. And guess what? Violence came down. So uh, <laughs> here's what I'm thinking. He's contracts, contracts, fixing the lights in a faraway country. Not going to give him the money. We'll send the contractors down there to take care of it. What does that mean? Hiring people, firms, money, favors relatives. Take a look. You know, he's got two brothers. You don't hear about him too much. Frank Biden, Jim Biden. We know all about Hunter Biden. This is the family business going back a long time. Take a look at this headline, please. A lot of folks forget that the Bidens were in the house building business in Iraq. Yes, Joe Biden's brother's company lands housing contract in Iraq. Let's go inside that story, please. It says the following. How was it that a newcomer in the business of home building, the Bidens, landed a massive and potentially lucrative contract to build 100,000 homes in war-torn Iraq? It really helps, Richter said, to have the brother of the vice president as a partner. It certainly does. See how it's done? Contracts, favors, money. We're not going to worry about the border. There's too much to gain from that. We'll have contractors go to build lampposts in El Salvador. 
and some people are going to get rich along the way. I'll be right back with, I'm sorry, but I have to do it one more time, a few words about Governor Cuomo. I'm not a fan, but what's happening to him is wrong, and if it can happen to him, they already tried it on Donald Trump, it can happen to anybody else. Stay with me. Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I, All can, I can say, say is, is that, that the, the fake news just doesn't get it, do they? Ooh, I'm getting rusty. I'm getting rusty. All right, folks. Uh, the fake news doesn't get it. They didn't get it last year and into the early part of this year when they were swooning. They were so crazy in worship, in awe of Andrew Cuomo. Oh, the way he did those briefings, he spoke and he spoke and he was so confident and he gave us the numbers and the intubations and the ICUs and he was sticking it to Trump and they loved it. They loved every minute of it. Meanwhile, I was going crazy. I'm like, I could tell he wasn't working. Number one, what was up with that tan? Number two, what was up with, uh, he just wasn't breaking a sweat. You could tell he was taking care of himself, not the state. He was going fishing. He was not working very hard. He was writing a book that he made $5 million on. This stuff still makes me very, very angry. And quite frankly, I think he should have resigned a year ago. But, but... I refuse to jump on this phony baloney bandwagon about this guy being a sexual predator. He is not, and the allegations against him, if anybody bothered to read them, are not serious and or extremely problematic. And they don't merit impeachment. They don't. So here's the accuser, one of them. The governor said today that he accepts responsibility and that he's making changes. Do you believe him? Accepting responsibility means stepping down. So I don't believe him, and I don't want an apology. It's not necessary. It's fake. And his propaganda video was not only uncomfortable and inappropriate, but downright weird and unnecessary. Stepping down. He should step down because he did the following, according to her and the attorney general, in a report. Not a criminal referral, but a report. So let's go through it. What's in there? What is she alleging about Governor Cuomo? The governor wanted her to learn the lyrics to a song. She was in the governor's office when he asked her whether she knew the song Danny Boy. Miss Bennett recalled the governor had a copy of the lyrics with him that he handed to her as he asked her to memorize the lyrics. Miss Bennett spent much of the day trying to memorize the lyrics to the song, and the governor occasionally would pop out of the side door to his office that opened to Miss Bennett's cubicle and ask, her to start singing the song. I think there are about three lines in the song, Danny Boy, anyway. Um, all right, that's, uh, that's allegation, I guess, number one. Number two, 
her appearance. Sometime in or around November 2019, the governor commented on Miss Bennett's hair, which she had worn in a bun that day. Although the governor typically greeted her when she greeted him in the morning, when she greeted him that day, he asked about or commented why she was wearing her hair in a bun and said nothing else. At the end of the day, the governor asked Miss Bennett again why she was wearing her hair in a bun. And it goes on. Next slide, please. Miss Bennett said she became angry and yelled, you don't like my bun, and yelled to the other assistants, he doesn't like my bun. After the governor had left the office for the day, another colleague went to Miss Bennett to chat, and Miss Bennett described what the governor had said about her hairstyle. Miss Bennett stated that the governor referred to her as bun for the next month. All right, not ideal by any means, but uh, resign immediately or get impeached. Next, a question about hands. On one occasion, the governor pers persistently asked Ms. Bennett what people were saying about the size of his hands. Ms. Bennett testified that she understood the governor was attempting to get her to say something about the size of his genitals. Ms. Bennett explained how difficult it was for her to navigate the situation as she was uncomfortable and wanted to change the topic, but she also wanted to avoid angering the governor. Whenever you bring up the size of hands, are you asking someone to comment on that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a safe takeaway. I do remember, however, everybody was talking about hands in politics for a while. What was it? Four or five years ago? Remember the campaign? Marco Rubio, Trump, and the whole country, actually. Um, hand size. You know, just because my hands are... Big, small, doesn't mean, I mean, I just can't believe we went there. And I can't believe that the Republican primary yielded this. Look on the bright side, though, people. Donald Trump is finally picking on someone his own hand size. He's artificially augmenting his hand size in his photos as president because he's still stuck on that issue. All right. So it was discussed in political circles. Does it mean something else? Maybe. But that's her takeaway uh, she did not allege that he went there when others were. Next up, something about a push-up contest or physical fitness in the office. Let's take a look at that, please. Beginning in the summer of 2019, Ms. Bennett began speaking to the governor about her gym habits, and he asked her on occasion how many push-ups she could do. On August 9, 2019, Ms. Bennett sent a text message to her parents reporting that the governor had invited Ms. Bennett to lift weights together in his mansion gym and that the governor started asking what I lift, etc., how many push-ups I can do. That same day, Ms. Bennett posted to her Instagram story with a caption, the governor invited me to lift weights with him, life complete. He challenged me to a push-up competition. Ms. Bennett also wrote to her parents that the governor had asked her do you have a boyfriend? And when she replied no, the governor replied, that's why you could beat them all up. Push-ups, is that code for anything sexual, challenging somebody to a push-up contest? I see it all the time. And you want to check my shape on, let's do push-ups together here, man. Now drop and give me 20. No! I was just wondering if you could do more push-ups than I could do. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. All right. You guys count. These things happen in our culture. Now, it gets a bit more serious, uh, the report, and let's go through this, please. During the conversation, Ms. Bennett, Bennett and the governor discussed in detail her history as a survivor of sexual assault. Ms. Bennett recalled that the conversation began when the governor asked her to 
tell him something. And Ms. Bennett responded by discussing how hard the staff were working. Ms. Bennett then told the governor that his signing of sexual assault legislation, Enough is Enough, in 2015, changed her life. It goes on. Ms. Bennett disclosed to the governor that she had been sexually assaulted in college, that she had a difficult experience reporting the assault, and that the experience motivated her to work in politics. Ms. Bennett testified that the governor then asked her several questions about her experience, including about the details of her assault, and commented, well, some people have it much worse. It goes on. Had a re- she texts her family, I believe, had a really long convo with the governor today, this is from a text message, talked about career, etc. two hours. He responded so well, really impressed. He had a lot to say and was very emotional and serious, but also asked a lot of questions. And that's something. She had this horrible chapter in her life, and she brought it up to the governor. She trusted him and was impressed with his reaction. Now, more, and perhaps this is... Well, let's look at it. According to Ms. Bennett, while she was trying to figure out how to answer the governor's question, he cut her off and said, I don't think age difference matters. He had brought up what is acceptable or not to date. The governor then said he would have a relationship with someone who was up to who was 22 and up or over the age of 22. Ms. Bennett noted that earlier that day she had she and the governor had discussed the fact that she recently turned 25. Okay. The governor also asked Ms. Bennett if her last relationship had been monogamous. Now, the governor then explained to Ms. Bennett that she had trouble being monogamous in relationships, which was not something she herself had said because of her past as a survivor of sexual assault and that she required having control in relationships. Now this. Now, they're talking about monogamy, and I can understand that would be an odd thing to talk about and might make somebody uncomfortable. So at one point during this conversation, Miss Bennett tried to change the topic by discussing a tattoo that she wanted to get for her birthday. The governor insisted that she get the tattoo on her butt rather than her shoulder so that people would not see it if she were wearing a dress. The governor also asked Miss Bennett about her piercings and asked if she had piercings anywhere other than her ears. Ms. Bennett described this conversation as painfully awkward. So they're talking about something she doesn't want to talk about, her monogamy. I totally would understand that. So she changes the conversation. During this conversation, Ms. Bennett tried to change the topic by discussing a tattoo that she wanted to get for her birthday. A tattoo isn't exactly going to a new safe topic. It's not like talking, Mr. Governor, you have a speech in Buffalo next week or... Uh, Governor, there are these letters or phone calls you got to return. No, I want to get a tattoo for my birthday. What do you think? That uh, suggests a certain familiarity, doesn't it? I think that's worthy of a question. Now, when she was interviewed this week, Charlotte Bennett, by people like Nora O'Donnell and George Stephanopoulos, they didn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. They just gave her the royal tribute. Why? Because this is a sexual assault survivor, and you don't challenge them. You don't. Uh, in today's culture, uh, sacred. So what did they ask? When that was happening at the time, how did you feel? What does that mean to you? Charlotte, you said you feel vindicated. What were you thinking as you watched the governor yesterday? Now, there are questions to ask. You can be respectful, but you can ask them. There are some discrepancies. There are some inconsistencies. 
Why aren't they asking him? Because, well, number one, I don't think Norah O'Donnell cares. And where George Stephanopoulos, he has his own issues that he has to think about that he doesn't want to come up. A couple of years ago, he had dinner with Jeffrey Epstein. George Stephanopoulos had dinner with Jeffrey Epstein after Jeffrey Epstein was convicted, while Jeffrey Epstein was a registered sex offender. Stephan I knew that. Everybody knew that. George Stephanopoulos said he didn't know that. He didn't know that. All right. But the crux of it is, why is she upset, in my opinion? Because, well, because of this. His intention was trying to sleep with me. He was trying to sleep with me. All right. That may be the case. He might have been feeling her out. That is inappropriate if that's the case. Uh, it is. Uh, let's take a look at them together. Uh, this is Cuomo and Charlotte Bennett back uh, when she was working for him. But a lot of people think that that is enough for him to have to resign or be impeached because he was exploring the notion of dating this person, allegedly. And a lot of people are horrified by that. My gosh, the age difference is disgusting. Well, uh, our culture for a long time did not send that message. It didn't. Let's be real. It was actually glorified. People thought the age difference was somehow a status symbol. I mean, there's Frank Sinatra with Mia Farrow. I was like 40 years older than her. More recently, Jerry Seinfeld with Shoshana Lowenstein, something like that. She was 17 and he was 40 at the time. How about Leonardo DiCaprio? Great actor, of course. Has he ever dated a woman over 25? He's damn near 50 years old. So our culture approves of this. Now, maybe not for politicians, of course not for politicians, but Governor Cuomo does not have a record of this himself, at least publicly. Uh, his first wife, uh, Kerry Kennedy, was age appropriate, and so was his longtime girlfriend, Sandra Lee, seen right there. The whole thing is sad, in my opinion. Uh, Governor Cuomo did apologize. He apologized, though, during that special address the other day to his accuser, Charlotte Bennett. Charlotte, I want you to know that I am truly and deeply sorry. I brought my personal experience into the workplace, and I shouldn't have done that. I was trying to help. Obviously, I didn't. I am even more sorry that I further complicated the situation. My goal was the exact opposite. I wish nothing but good for you and for all survivors of sexual assault. I think he actually cared for her. He probably liked her too. Um, and I thought that was heartfelt. That's what it seemed like to me. And I know politicians, um, they're almost never sincere, but I thought there was something sincere there. She's not buying it. Do you accept his apology? I don't. I actually don't want it or need it, and it's irrelevant. His propaganda is uh, simply that. Okay, okay. By the way, she's represented by uh, Ms. Katz, her attorney. You recognize her on the right there? Uh, you might. She represented one of the lawyers who represented Christine Blasey Ford, Brett Kavanaugh's accuser. So I recall once again Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky, the things that were done in the Oval Office, in the White House, and the things that were done on the phone. Um, they conducted uh, 
an electronic relationship. These inappropriate encounters ended at my insistence in early 1997. I also had occasional telephone conversations with Ms. Lewinsky that included inappropriate sexual banter. Inappropriate sexual banter, phone sex. Fast forward to 2021. This is what you're about to hear, inappropriate banter between Charlotte Bennett and uh, Governor Cuomo, initiated by the, by the governor. But this is not phone sex. I don't know what it is, um, but I don't think it's impeachable, and I don't think he should step down because of things like this. Hello. Hi, Governor. Yeah. This is Charlotte. Okay. Are you ready? <laughs> I am ready. You don't know that song? No. Before your time. It's before my time, but I, I appreciated the singing. Do you love me? Do you really love me? Do you love me? Do you care? I'll have to listen now. Yep. It's like a 50. Before even my time. Oh, there you go. Uh, that's, now I have less of an excuse. You ready? Yes. Call Ken Starr. <laughs> we can't make a federal case out of this. It's awkward, it's weird, it's whatever, but it's not impeachable. You can't force a guy out of office over this. It's strange how they'll overlook all the thousands of deaths that the Cuomo administration may be responsible for. Five million dollars while New Yorkers were having their businesses shut down, their lives turned upside down, and they're going to drive them out of office over this. Something else is going on. I'm not sure what it is, but this is a farce. I've got something to say about January 6th. More truth and more lies. We'll be right back. January 6th, uh, so many lies we've been told. Another one is about what happened after January 6th, that the suicides that we've seen from Capitol Hill police officers must be related to that event. There have been four since January 6th in that department, and time and time again, they say, well, that's the fault of Trump supporters. Uh, they did this, and Donald Trump himself, blood on their hands. Now, they overlook the fact that Suicide, law enforcement, these, uh, it's been studied before. Generally, it's higher than the population, the civilian population, but they have found time and time again that suicides in law enforcement are not related to the job. Now, I noticed that no one said anything about the suicides in law enforcement after the defunding uh, conversation and all the riots that we saw last summer. Chicago had three suicides in a short period of time here in New York City, two suicides right after the defunding uh, talk and all the riots where anti-cop rhetoric was extreme and sometimes glorified. Uh, but back to the Capitol Hill situation, it was always about, it must have had something to do with January 6th. January 6th, uh, lawmakers uh, picked that up and ran with it on the Democrat side. 
You know, nearly seven months after the assault on the Capitol, Washington, D.C.'s Metropolitan Police say two more police officers who responded to the riot recently died by suicide. It's clear, at least to me, that when you have four officers from two different departments, Washington Metropolitan Police and the Capitol Police, who are experiencing death by suicide, then the one commonality is their battle for us, the battle for democracy on January 6th, then that seems to be linked to their demise. Well, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, this issue has been studied um, and it was not seen as a causal factor prior to this, but they are trying to exploit the hilt out of uh, January 6th, so who knows what they'll come up with. Um, here in New York, cops were, gosh, badgered and attacked up and down, up and down. And we've been seeing higher than normal suicide numbers um, in the New York City Police Department even before last summer. It's, um, it's a sad fact of life. Uh, this Fanone character still continues to make a spectacle out of himself. Uh, Officer Michael Fanone of the Metropolitan Police Department, he's the one who yelled at uh, Congress uh, last week. Here he is on the cover of Time magazine. He is being now so exploited by Democrats, some Republicans, and definitely, definitely by the media. I wish him well. I think he's uh, in way over his head, and he's being used. And this is... Uh, I wish him well. I wish him well. <sighs> Meanwhile, when it comes to defending themselves, members of Congress, uh, they may not like the police, but they sure like security. This is Cori Bush, Democrat from Missouri. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety. You suck it up as your security declines and hers increases. This is a first-class idiot and a person who doesn't seem to care and performed such a spectacle this week by pretending she was homeless. It wasn't hard for her. She's been homeless before. Cori Bush, Democrat from Missouri. Keep an eye on her. All right, back to our suicide conversation in law enforcement. We'd like to bring in William Santana, he is a licensed mental health counselor. He's the owner of Blue Line Mental Health Counseling and a former New York City police officer. Uh, sir, extensive experience, seven years uh, on the job here in New York. Welcome to Newsmax. How are you? Doing well. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So I said earlier, and I've heard this over the years, and but I'm sure your information is newer, and that there's not a correlation generally between the job of police officers and suicide. We do see a higher suicide rate, but often that's because the instrumentality is there. It's not necessarily the job that leads to the increased suicide rates. Is that true? Well, quite honestly, old research would, would show us that it was not tr true. But what we saw then was that uh, police officers who were being questioned at the time weren't being truthful to the extent due to the, the stigma surrounding mental health. So a lot of the research that, that was uh, founded you know, years ago really didn't show the true nature or the true amount of individuals when during mental health issues while uh, employed as a law enforcement officer. 
Okay, so what can you tell us about if there is a, a link about that? And what is the rate? Is there an accepted rate among law enforcement compared to the civilian population? Well, in my opinion, there is a higher rate, but again, the numbers are still a little bit skewed due to the reporting issues. Um, but now, according to BlueHelp.org, you know, just in 2021 alone, we have eight uh, suicides amongst the law enforcement community since they've been keeping record back since, since 2016. Um, in 2016 alone, there's 149, 2017, 174, 2018, 182. And what we're seeing is an increase in the numbers. Why do you think that is? Well, quite honestly, I don't think it's just one factor. It's a cumulative, a cumulative effect. Um, the law enforcement profession is a noble one. And quite honestly, it, um, it uh, exposes many individuals to human nature that mostly everyone does not want to see. Everyone likes to see it in movies, but unfortunately, when they're seeing it in real life, over time, it's like a slow drip. It will impact and affect us. Not necessarily that it's going to impact us to the point that where we're going to exhibit you know, extreme mental health um, symptoms, but if left unaddressed, if not um, spoken about, if not spoken about in a safe environment, could lead to negative effects. We want anybody out there uh, who needs help to get help. Let's start with uh, civilians. Now, look, I think help is always available in the Bible. That's my first recommendation. Uh, but there are some websites here. Blue Help. This is specifically the website specifically for police officers. Uh, that is easily uh, findable on the web. And for everyone else, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 800-273-8255, 800-873-8255. William Santana, licensed mental health counselor and owner of Blue Line Mental Health Counseling, also findable online. We appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. All right. We'll be right back. So there's AOC about to be caught in some hypocrisy. <laughs> you like that? Uh, I do. <laughs> anyway, there she is on Capitol Hill at an event, maskless, but the cameras are about to come out. All right? Watch what happens. Housing is a human right on three. One, two, three. Housing is a human Just one amusing moment of all the hypocrisy that's going on and all of the weird stuff around COVID. You know, COVID is a problem. I know it's not over and it's catching up to Joe Biden. The media gave him a great big fat free pass uh, during the campaign and throughout his presidency. But you know what? His luck may be running out. The mixed messaging, the screw ups, um, it's impossible to ignore anymore. Let's bring in our guests. We have Dick Morris, host of Dick Morris Democracy, advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. You got to check out DickMorris.com. Great stuff there. Be sure to register. And also Mark Morgan, former acting uh, commissioner of the Border Patrol and a Newsmax contributor. Welcome, gentlemen. Dick, first to you. It does seem like the narrative is starting to change on Joe Biden and COVID. 
Yeah, I think it is. Uh, and I think that it's going to have a huge effect, not just on him, but on all of us. Uh, the left has consistently maintained that the conservatives are dismissive of the danger and cavalier about it. And the uh, right has always maintained that the left is unduly paranoid, restrictive, and control-oriented. Well, right now, the delta of cases are up, but the death rate's not. If that carries through, we will all have learned that Biden and the left were going way over to the wrong side in demanding all these restrictions. If the death rate climbs, we're all going to have to admit that maybe we made too harsh a judgment ourselves. I think that you're going to see that the death rate does not increase. I think you'll see that after six to eight weeks, it begins, cases begin to abate like they have in Holland. And I think that will be a massive lesson to this country, that the Democrats were overreacting, over-controlling, and attempting to fabricate a crisis where one did not exist. Wow. I think that'll be a learning experience for all of us. Well, maybe they're going to uh, make a crisis. Uh, nonetheless, we have all these people coming in across the border, worse than ever before, and they're being given bus tickets and they're going all throughout the country. And it doesn't seem like the COVID screening is nearly adequate, if at all. Uh, Mark Morgan, uh, your concerns about the border and specifically regarding COVID, if you don't mind. Yeah, Greg, look, first of all, this is a continuation of what you just showed with AOC and the hypocrisy. So they're saying, look, we, we, we have to wear masks. I, I can't go to a restaurant without wearing a mask. And it goes on and on. Yet at the southwest border, this administration is encouraging and facilitating the illegal entry of hundreds of thousands of migrants every single month. Look, the July numbers we're anticipating are going to be over 210,000. And here's where this administration has lied to the American people. It's not just unaccompanied minors that they're letting pour into the country. It's also families. Even though Title 42, that CDC order, allows Border Patrol to remove them immediately, this administration is still allowing 80% of the families to illegally enter this country. And then, as you just showed, they're being transported throughout this entire country. And here's the big kicker, Greg, they're not being tested. DHS right now, I'm being conservative, has released over 180,000 family members into this country. Guess how many they've tested? Zero. Right now, you can be a family illegally into the country. Tell Border Patrol, oh, by the way, our whole family has COVID. Guess what this administration is doing? That's okay. Come on in. It's absolutely absurd, and it's hypocrisy. Uh, I see a crash, a fatal crash. Ten people packed in a van in South Texas. Uh, a lot of them, if not all of them, migrants, just 80 miles north of the Mexico border. A uh, horrible crash. Uh, but, Dick, you know, uh, the, the, the conversation about the border seems to be kind of evaporating. It comes back every now and then. It almost seems like it's the new normal. No, I, I don't think so at all. I, I think that, that this is a huge issue. And well, I think it should be, one. Dick. The problem is, it just seems like issues. it's... Dick, I'm, I'm not saying it's not a huge issue, but uh, there's very little action about it. Wouldn't you agree? No, am I totally wrong? I think the news media is covering it. Certainly we are. And, uh, and I think that people are very concerned about that. Inflation, crime, and immigration are the trifecta of issues that will defeat the Democrats and defeat Biden. Let's hope. <laughs> it's an opinion, Joe, and I'm allowed to say that. Dick Morris, thank you very much. Mark Morgan, thank you. To be continued, I'll be thank right you. back. So our soccer team, the women's soccer team at the Olympics, blew it 
No gold, no silver, maybe a bronze. I think it's a bronze. They lost. Bad. Uh, they're much better than this, but they took their eye off the ball. I said it, and Donald Trump is saying it. He can't tweet anymore, but he put out this statement. It's, it's kind of funny and true. If our soccer team, headed by a radical group of leftist maniacs, wasn't woke, they would have won the gold medal instead of the bronze. Woke means you lose. Everything that is woke goes bad. And our soccer team certainly has. There were, however, a few patriots standing. Unfortunately, they need more than that, respecting our country and national anthem. They should replace the wokesters with patriots and start winning again. The woman with the purple hair played terribly and spends too much time thinking about radical left politics and not doing her job. Yeah, Megan Rapino, he's totally right about that. This is a champ, though. I don't follow women's wrestling, but we've got a great one. Her name is uh, Tamira Mensa Stock, a gold medalist. She won. She's the best in the world, and she is truly the best in the world and a proud American. Have you seen this yet? It's gone viral on uh, online, but it's so great. I'm feeling very happy, and I keep trying not to cry, but it keeps happening. And I just want to go into a dark room and just cry. Uh, I'm crying from joy because I knew I could do it when I first started wrestling. I felt that I could be an Olympic champ, so I kept going. I did it. How does that feel to represent your country like this? It feels amazing. I love representing the U.S. I freaking love living there. I love it, and I'm so happy I get to represent U.S.A. <laughs> love it. Well, <laughs> it just made the Olympics. The Olympics were a total bust until this, until this, representing America and achieving greatness. Congratulations. Wow, it'd be an honor to meet her someday. All right, we'll be right back. It is a weapon our adversaries in today's world do not have. It is a weapon that we as Americans do have. Let that be understood by those who practice terrorism and prey upon their neighbors. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it, we will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Thank you so much for watching. We so appreciate it. We're proud of what we're doing here. Thanks to everybody at Newsmax. Thanks to the viewers. We couldn't do it without you. To be continued, I will see you on Monday. I'm taking a long weekend. Many, many thanks. All the best. And stand by for Stinchfield. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com. We make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.